This is Learn It From An 80s Song. I am your coach, Patricia Freiberg. This is I Love the 80s meets the healing of storytelling and the positive impact of music. Inspiring guests share their powerful stories, yielding incredible strengths. Through both story and music, this podcast will elevate your mood, providing you with a positive outlook. It will ignite recall so that you can tap into your own life experiences. We don't just hear the knowledge and wisdom gained from our podcast guests. Through powerful story, we can live it. Today, we have a very special guest. Please welcome Linda John. Linda John is the CEO and founder of Linda John Consulting, providing executive coaching and destination consulting services to clients throughout the USA. From 1993 to 2020, Linda served as the executive director for Visit Eau Claire. Some of Linda's top accomplishments at Visit Eau Claire include the development of a successful regional tourism program, creation of sports commissions for the Eau Claire area, and launching two successful mobile visitor center programs, all resulting in record-setting tourism growth for the region during her tenure. Linda now owns and operates her professional coaching and consulting practice through which she offers a variety of professional training and human resource development services, including team development and organizational rebuilding initiatives. Linda is a certified destination marketing executive and an accredited practitioner of the Integrative Enneagram for both individuals and teams. She has a Bachelor's of Science degree in Business Administration from Minnesota State University. She has a Master's of Science degree in Training and Human Resource Development from the University of Wisconsin. Just recently, Linda has relocated to the Tucson, Arizona area, where she serves as an executive mentor for a CEO peer advisory group for Vistage Worldwide. In addition to her coaching and consulting work, she has recently launched a podcast of her own called The Self-Aware Leader, Leveraging Your Enneagram Power. Linda, it is so great to have you here. Thank you so much for being on this episode today. Hi, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited about this opportunity. So this is the part of the show where we do the big reveal of what song best resonates with the story that you're going to tell us today. Can I get a drum roll, please? Linda, what is your 80s song? It is Break My Stride by Matthew Wilder. Yes, yes, 1984 and a one hit wonder, sadly, because I would have liked to have heard more of, of Matthew Wilder. I really would have liked to. 
Yeah, I mean, but gosh, what a fun song. And I mean, I when I was going down memory lane and listening to it again, I just remembered all the great memories that that had for me when I was much younger, too. So Very good. So, Linda, tell us what story resonates with that song. Yeah, so basically, uh, you know, my story is really just one of resilience, determination. I was in that era wanting it all. I could do it all. I was going to prove the world wrong. I really could be super mom and career executive and community volunteer and do it all. And I tried, you know, really, and probably did it pretty successfully for a long time. You know, um, I grew up in a family where we just were all expected to work. My mom and dad were hard workers. My mom went back to school twice as I was growing up for advanced degrees. And my first official job with tax withholdings and everything was when I was 15 years old. And I worked in the Iowa Field of Dreams as a corn detasseler. I mean, we lived in the small rural town of 5,000 people. And that's what we did. And it was hard work. Didn't know any different. And usually at that time, too, following a day in the fields, and I would go to the local country club and I would um, turn into the server for the country club folks. And this was a routine that continued for me for about five years um, until I went to pursue, to continue pursuing my college degree in Mankato, Minnesota. And then soon after that, I was hired to work at Walt Disney World. And that hard work that I had done as a teenager for five years had paid off because they basically, I still remember to this day, they cited the hard work ethic of the Midwest as a primary reason that they recruit there. Uh, basically saying anyone who can detassel corn for five summers will do just fine with us at Disney. That is such a great story, Linda. I want for our audience out there that didn't grow up uh, in the Midwest, could you tell us a little bit of what entails detasseling of corn? <laughs> yes, yes. We very early in the morning with layers of clothes and a lunchbox. How early in the morning? I mean, we'd be out there. Yeah, we'd be out there at 5.30, 6 o'clock. You'd have to wear long pants in the morning because the dew was on the leaves that would scratch you up. And you literally walk up and down the acres of fields one row at a time and you pull tassels <laughs> out of the corner. There's a whole science lesson that goes with this. There's four rows of female corn and a row of male corn. And so you got to get the tassels out of the female corn so that the male corn can pollinate it. I learned all of this during these long days. <laughs> I had no idea. What does it, what does a corn tassel look like? I mean, you know, you just think of an ear of corn and it gets really tall. I mean, you know, it was probably, I don't know, five feet tall at, you know, at some point, but you're reaching up and you're pulling this little shoot out of the top of the corn. Oh, wow. It looks like, you know, a really tiny piece of corn within a large piece, but there's no seeds on it. It's just basically the leafy part. So that's what pollinates the corn. Yeah. So, so then the male pollination can go into those open areas. Wow. <laughs> I had no idea that there was male and female corn. I know. Who would know, right? <laughs> what and a so lesson. <laughs> and birds and the bees. You've got birds and the bees as a young 15-year-old, and then you've got <laughs> corn tasseling. Learned it all. Yeah. So, and it was basically, you know, rinse, rinse and repeat. You'd walk down one half mile and get to the end, have a little sip of water and walk down the next. And this would go on for, you know, seven hours with a 30 minute lunch break. 
so yeah, long days. And then by the by the end of the day, you know, you've taken the layers off this hot, the hot sun. And this is this takes was taking place pretty much June, July, August it was on our summer, you know, su- summer break. So, wow, yeah. wow. So that okay. So I'm thinking about as a 15 year old. Let's think about 15. All right, you've got to show up for work at 5:30 in the morning. Correct. Right. It's cold. Yeah. And wet. Well, yes. And that means you probably had to get up at like, what, 4.30, probably 4.45, maybe, you know, I mean, early. Yeah. And, you know, about 4.45. Yeah. And then get, you know, we would meet with carpool, one family, we'd, we'd all go out together. They would bus people in from other towns too. I was fortunate that the farm I worked at was right in my town. So. Wow. So, I mean, it, it's no wonder that Disney took a look at like how as a 15 year old young teenager, you were getting right. up at 445 in the morning, heading out, walking right. back and forth for seven hours with a 30, a 30 minute lunch break. Right. And I'm sure at this point you were not making much money, you know, right. <laughs> oh, <it was> <laughs> <way>. <laughs> yeah. And then, so how many years did you do this, Linda? It was about five summers that, wow. that I did that. Yeah, it was five summers. And, you know, um, it was like, oh, wait, were you 20 years old? Well, the, the way that it worked is in our family, we had a kind of a mandate that there was an expectation to go and get, get an advanced education, but there was also a two-year community college right in my town. And so we were basically said, you can go wherever you want to college after you get your two-year degree, your associate's degree. So it was, you know, from age 15 till almost, it was a summer between 19 and 20 that I, that I continued and went to two-year college. And then before I transferred to Minnesota. Talk about work ethic and perseverance. I mean, really look at, at just that grit. That is grit to get up as a youngster at that hour. And you know, it's hard having raised teenagers and right. right? And I'm raising one now um, who's 15. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Interesting age. It really is. But it reminds me of, I also started working at 15. You know, I started with this funny story. I started with babysitting, but I really felt that the babysitting wasn't consistent enough. So I, I didn't have a set schedule. It was, it was at the whim of others, right? And it was really important to me that I had a schedule and a steady income at 15 because I really did love the 80s trends. And I wanted to go to you know, the market and, and buy that skirt that I wanted or that, you know, so it really came out of fashion. I really wanted, you know, I grew up middle class and if I wanted extra things, I needed to work for it. That's just the bottom line. That's the way my family situation was. So I started, I saw that there across the street, there was a gas station called Weigel's and I noticed I could walk to that gas station, you know, cause I couldn't drive. I was 15, you know? So I thought to myself, well, this is perfect, but it said stock boy on it. And I walked in, you know, yes. And I just looked at them. I said, Hey, I want to apply for the stock boy position. And here I am. <laughs> and here I am. And, and, and so I, I applied and had an interview and got the job as the stock boy. And, um, of course, as you know, it, I was put on bathroom duty and floor mopping. Okay. Like stocking. <laughs> yes. And then I did get the occasion to stock the sodas, but only if the, the other guy that I was working with uh, wasn't able to. 
But what part I really wanted to do was dip the gas. And what that is, is you walk out there with a stick and you measure it. And I just thought that was so cool, right? I'm like, when do I get to dip the gas? I kept going, like I was so persistent. And if you know me, I'm very persistent. I'm like, when do I get to dip the gas? And then one day, the guy, the other guy I worked with was sick. So I had to dip the gas. And it was like, yes, this uh-huh. is an awesome day. So, but what's so funny is I was paid $2.85 an hour. And that was under minimum wage because at that time, minimum wage was $3.35. So I think right. it was when I was in college, um, I got a check in the mail for like $16 something like that. And it was from Weigel's. I guess it was illegal that they were, um, you know, paying us under aid because we were under 16. They thought that they could pay us $2.85 instead of $3.35. You got some back pay for your sack boy job. (laughs) I'll just tell you that I didn't last in that job for very long because I was terribly, uh, I was just not equipped to uh, that mop that one, you know, the industrial mops that you put in those big, I really was a disaster. I mean, it was like a pool of water on the floor. I could never get it dry, like get it dry enough. (laughs) And the manager there just is like, oh my God, you know, like you have got to get this water up. This is slipping hazard, you know? So I didn't last (laughs) for very long in that job. And and as soon as I was 16, I was finding another job. Yes. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so we will never forget our first jobs, right? No, the first job. And you know, back to the work ethic. Yeah, I look back now like, wow, that, but I just didn't know any different. Everyone in the town did that. You know, all my friends have their detasseling stories as well. And it's so fun when we all get together. And, you know, some of us worked for different seed companies. And so it was sort of like, yeah, well, I had this experience just sharing stories from them. But we didn't know any different. And it's just what we did. And we didn't know that it could be any different. And then we kind of like, wait, not, not everybody has this expectation. Like, this is, this is harder work than other people have had to do. It, it's just, you don't know. So. Wow. Yeah, it's so interesting. It takes a lot of strengths to do what you what you did when you were so young at 15. Can you tell us a little bit about the strengths you gained from that time? Well, yeah, and it really kind of just continued on then when I did go to work for Disney and that was about, you know, 5 for 5 more years. It was basically being adaptable. I worked everything from sewing names on Mickey Mouse ears to checking in guests at hotels. And it was like, whatever they needed, whatever, whatever was needed, it was really much, very much a, a focus on service and serving others. So I think that definitely has turned out to be one of my, my just natural strengths. I always say that I still kind of have the pixie dust of service and creativity and possibility is still flowing through my veins from Disney. Again, another excellent company had high expectations of hard work. Um, to be able to create that experience for the guests, it does not come easily. And really, you, you really do have to you know, be able to get on board with, with the culture and those standards. And so um, all of those things did serve me well as, as well. And then, you know, for the last few decades, I turned that passion for Disney and tourism and service um, into a career in destination management. Um, I worked in uh, convention visitor bureaus um, and destination marketing organizations, promoting people to come visit 
for tournaments and conventions and helping to build communities while raising a family with now I have two successful adult children and um, two two out of two, I would say. Yes, that's amazing. (laughs) You know, and I'm continuing to invest in my uh, lifelong learning pursuits. You know, I think that's a strength too, is um, my love for learning. And so I think all of those things really, the hard work, the service orientation, the connection with others and with people and flexibility and commitment to a culture, all those things have really served me well. Wow. Yeah. So much, you know, and what, when you look back at the grind, right? When you look back at your, the life that we've, when we've worked so hard and, and usually for very little pay, yeah. I look back and as hard as it was, as much as I look back fondly on the grind, you know, right. that hustle, that making right. it, look at me go, you know? And yeah. It, and all of a sudden you look back, you're like, wait, where did that time go? <laughs> right. Definitely. Definitely. And it's much like the song, right? So tell us a little bit about how you chose the song and then how it resonates with your story. Yeah. Well, I mean, it really was, I, I had that feeling of like, you know, like nothing going to break my stride. I'm doing this. Uh, my favorite things, if somebody tried to say, tell me, no, I couldn't do something. My, I would just be persistent and persevere to try to find the way. I had mistakes. I had some setbacks. I, you know, found myself always being able to pick myself back up and keep going and keep going and keep going. And so I really, when I started thinking about this, it's like, that was me. And it was me for a really long time. And then I think the reason it really resonated for me at this time when you and I, our paths crossed is because I just recently, what I call stepped out of that song. I left my successful career that I'd been at the same um, organization for 27 years at the beginning of 2020. Before COVID hit, I I said, like, I'm stepping out of the crazy life, um, the crazy life that I loved, honestly. But I'm I'm stepping out. My kids had both moved to Portland. I had established our organization to some levels of success that I was really happy with. We had just helped to... Um, open and um, make a reality, a $60 million art facility in our community. And I decided to uh, step out of the song, pick up and move 1800 miles away to Tucson, Arizona, and pursue a lifelong career that I'd been preparing for for quite a while um, in executive coaching and to share my experiences with a world beyond one community where I'd been living for many years. Wow. So that was really, that was really the, the reason the song resonated was not so much for the fact that I was still living it, but that I had chosen to step out of it and how that was feeling to me. And then what was really, really cool is when I started doing a little more research about the song, I, I realized that I found a version of the song that uh, Matthew Wilder had performed just in April Wow, for a COVID benefit concert. And his remake of it was like half the speed, half the pace of the original 1984 version. And that's what I really resonated with because it is still about being driven and focused on a goal and doing it my way, what I want to do. But the pace was more manageable mm-hmm. and, and it made me happy. <laughs> Yes. And it's like, that's the life I've chosen. I've like kind of stepped off the fast train out of the fast lane, 
but I'm still doing my passion work and maybe even more so now. And I'm doing it at a pace that I choose. Some days are crazy. Don't get me wrong. But overall, it's basically I get up every day and decide where I'm going to put my energies and how, how that's going to look. And that's been really, really resonating for me and that with that song. Yeah, it's so interesting that you talk about that because, you know, you and I, you know, we talked about persistence and, and the grind and the hustle. And you and I met at a very similar time. Um, I was pivoting out of my corporate role trying to get back into, you know, my therapy side of my career. And we met in the coaching in March. And here's yeah. the funny part. You and I were talking about, I loved how somebody in our class, his name was Miles. He set us up. Like, he's like, you and Linda need to talk. And there was, we went out for wine and you and I had yeah. a very similar, uh, you came from that amazing tourism and years and years of experience, you know, and myself from the fitness industry, really wanting and self-care, really yeah. wanting to look at retreats, right? Wrong time, wrong time for <laughs> retreats right now. What? That's not going to work. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So this was in March, right before, you know, uh, we're laying the foundation. We're thinking about like, you know, we're both talking about it and then boom, here's the pandemic and we're pivoting again. Right. Yeah. And it was, Literally like a week after our in-person retreat yeah. in Santa Barbara, California, it was literally the next week that everything got shut down. And we didn't, we knew there was sort of a COVID thing going on internationally. In fact, the course had reached out to say, has anyone traveled internationally? But we had right. no idea what was up to us at yeah, that time. We had no idea. And that was the last in-person that a lot of people did for a really long time. <laughs> that was the last you know? time I've seen people outside my family. <laughs> no, right? It was just like, okay. Yeah. So we were talking about doing these, you know, integrated in-person, like intimate retreats that would incorporate coaching and wellness and mm -hmm. laughter and friendship. And we both read kind of the same idea. And we we're sharing those ideas with each other because that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like, oops, that's not going to work for a little while. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and yeah. So I was so grateful for that opportunity to, to meet with you that day. And it was, it was so uh, interesting. But what I would love to, about what you're saying is as we were talking about the grind and now we're talking about Matthew Wilder's song at half speed. What I've been working hard on, as you know, because you've been coaching me through your Enneagram program, is that I need to work smarter now. So I, right. I am not 15 years old anymore, right? And I don't have all the time in the world, right? And I also don't have, you know, the Energizer Bunny <laughs> all day, all day, all night. You know, like I, I don't have it like it. I, it I need to work smarter, but I have a ton of knowledge, right? Well, that's just it. And it's almost like you could if you felt you had to, but your point of you've got all this knowledge, you've got all these experiences. It's almost as if you've reached a place where you can be very intentional about how you spend your time, what you're doing and who are the beneficiaries. And one thing that I know you and I've talked a lot about is sometimes, Patricia, the beneficiary gets to be you. Right. And that's the importance of self-care. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always have to be about everybody else. Yeah. 
And that's, I think, what's so cool about the place that we're both at in our lives. And I'm a little bit further down the road. My kids have moved out and I used to have kids at home, but still it's, it's sort of this crossroads right now of what was and what was familiar and what we knew. And now we're at a crossroads of what was and what could be. And it's almost like a blank canvas and it's pretty exciting. It is. And we can, we can create that next chapter. And yes. that's what we're doing. Yes, it is. I would love for our audience to learn more about Enneagrams because it's been so powerful for me to work with you um, on the Enneagram. And for those of you who have ever done any strengths-based work, whether it be the Clifton, whether it be the VIA character strengths, Enneagram is is an incredible program. And I just Linda, could you talk a little bit so that I just want our audience to have this resource, especially sure. right now, as we have a yes. little more time to self-reflect, this is a good time to take some strengths-based work or do some strengths-based work. Yes. And it really is a powerful tool. It is an archetypal system. So, you know, um, where you, people are familiar with, like you said, StrengthsFinders or Myers-Briggs or the DISC. So this is a behavioral character strength type of um, assessment. And one of the main differences is that there's nine different types that are established as part of this. And really, when you get down to each of those nine types can um, also attach, will also attach to one of three subtypes. So we kind of trick people into thinking this is going to be this basic nine types, but then you apply those subtypes. There's really 27 different types we look at um, there's layers and layers of great information and the the journey starts with determining what your main type is and everyone has some of all nine types but we all have one main type and people like like a lot of times want to shortcut that well i'm a little bit two and a little bit six and that's just what i am i'm like even like we got to do the work to figure out are you a two or are you a six until you get the main type figured out, all of the other strategies of integration with the Enneagram won't work. And that's the next part of this tool that I love is once we figure out your main type, this is not about putting us in a box. This is about, well, this is a quote that I borrowed from a famous thought leader in the Enneagram space. His name is Ian Morgan Cron. And one of his books is The Road Back to You. And his quote is, The Enneagram does not put you in a box. It shows you the box you're in and helps you get out of it. And that really sums it up. It's by finding out the self-awareness, self-awareness tool. This is where I am. This is how I show up. This is my main type. What about that do I love and I want to hold on to? And what are the challenges of my type? Because they all have their challenges too that I want to shed. And how do I do that? I do that by learning about the best parts of the other types that will help me to integrate those qualities into my own style. And so in the end, you know, the true integration will, it would you know, be a highly integrated person that's using the best of all nine types. That's so interesting. And I, I've learned so much, you know, through your program. I mean, I'll just, you know, be, tell the audience, um, I'm a two, a two is, uh, the considerate helper. So if you you know uh, me, I I love to be involved and network with people, you know, but coupled with that in my wings, so that's what they call them are these wings that are to the side of your main strength, 
Um, and mine is a competitive achiever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. And (laughs) (laughs) yes. And then the other one was not as pronounced, but it was the North star. So the intuitive, right. Isn't that right? Yeah. The type one, one of the names for it. It's, I think I think it's more indicative of the unhealthier version is the strict perfectionist. Oh, yeah. But Ian has started calling it the improver. I call I like to also call it the true north. They just have this gut knowing of how things should be. It's right. a compass, you know, and you follow that. Like you're you you are the true north and you want to bring the world along with you in that journey as well. Right. <laughs> you want to help not only yourself but others around you to be better and you know how to get them there. So yeah, that, yes. That's yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. And you've got a unique one. And I remember my one of my one of my lines went or one of my strengths was Yeah, it was yours. It was similar to yours. Tell us about the seven. You're a seven. I know yeah, that. Seven is the enthusiastic visionary, and you do have a strong seven in your type. So one of the things that in the Enneagram assessment that I do identifies is of the of the body center, the thinking center, and the heart center a most dominant type in each. And so you are strongest in the thinking center with your type seven as well. It happens to be my main type. Yes. Ethic visionary. One of the thought leaders of the Enneagram, Don Riso, called them the spark plugs of the Enneagram. They have the positive outlook. They try to avoid pain at all costs. They're upbeat. They're visionary, future-oriented. And they just take on so much. They just don't want to miss out on a darn thing. It's kind of the FOMO of the Enneagram too, you know, like fear of missing out. I definitely resonate with that. And I'm a very seven, seven. And so I have all these ideas and I can see it and I want to do it. I want to get it there. But then I just take on the, and that's where part of that song came in. It's just like, I'm doing it. Watch me go. You know, don't you try to stop me. And, um, and so it's, for me, when we talk about who I am and self-awareness, which is the really big growth journey on this, is just being able to see that, then you can start to think about what would, what would balance my life out? What, what do I need a dose of to balance that out? And my line of integration that can really be helpful to me is the type five, which is the quiet specialist. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> so the, that's why I love that song, like slow down the pace. Get out of that fast song. You can still go for what you want, but do it at a slower pace, a more intentional space, and a space that allow a, a space that allows for for deeper connections with people, deeper meaning of your experiences. And I think sometimes it allows us to do better work, serve others better because we're just doing it at a pace that's measured and intentional and allows for balance and time to ourselves. And so that's my line of integration. Um, That's what I've been working on since February when I left my uh, longtime successful career. And I just took a couple months to say what I want to do now. That's when I ended up in that class in March. I'm um, getting my certification in executive coaching and taking on clients now, but I'm being very selective how that looks and making sure I still have margin in my life. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And I've, I can see how that seven works for you because if you look at your experience, visit Eau Claire, where you worked for, for as an executive for what was it? 30 years, I believe. 27 years. 27 yeah, years. Seven. And then you 
developed two tourism centers, right? In that time that you were right, there, right, like right, that's, you can right. see you brought that vision and, and increased exponentially tourism to that area because of the work that you did and that vision that you had. So, um, that to me is, it's amazing guys. If you just haven't had, you know, that opportunity to do some dive into some strengths work, yeah. you know, now is really the time in COVID to do it. And like you had said, Linda, to me, you know, my release point for this Enneagram is my creativity. And that's how I'm, how I've ended up in improv classes continuing through COVID, how I ended up podcasting in my closet um, where I feel best. I do feel like, even though, <laughs> even though I have like a studio all set up and I, you guys, I still feel it. Does anyone else feel that way? I like to podcast in my closet. I don't know if it's the shoes that I have or, the acoustics are better and, or nobody can find me. Maybe it's no one can find me. Cause I do still have kids in the house. And when, when mom's in her closet talking, you know, everyone knows not to interrupt. I love it. You know, maybe it's your way to tap that self care in a way, you know, you're doing something that is about making you feel good and accomplished. There's a little type three coming in there with the achievement also. But, you know, just the creativity. So, yes, your line of release, when you are at your best and things are smooth sailing, going great, your line of release is the intense creative, which is type four. And we talked a lot about how much you hang out. And then I realized you have degrees in art and all that. And just like, you are so off the charts creative, you know, which is awesome because it says that as a two, you are spending a lot of time in your line of release. And maybe you're even finding ways to do more with your improv now and, and this podcast, very creative outlet for you. I have coached twos before, other type twos that don't get the type four, which is a real, like we have a journey then. Like, first of all, what is the creative activity that I could do? I do nothing creative, you know? So then I know that we have some work to do. Yeah. So for you, Linda, in your type seven, what is your area of release? Yeah, that's my type five. Okay, that's that right. So what that means for me is writing. And I've been trying to work on putting pen to paper a lot more. Writing in a way that's not tapping a lot of stuff out on the computer, but it's literally pen to paper and all the thoughts come out. And it, it can be, you know, recounting coaching strategies that have worked really well for people so I can help share it with others. It can be just, we have a gratitude journal of all the wonderful things that I, that are going on in my life, even though sometimes it's sort of like, what's tomorrow going to bring? And so this, I'm in a transition and I know that. So writing things down has become very important for me. It can be yoga, which I've gotten a lot of wonderful, uh, spacious thinking time from doing yoga. So it's not that monkey mind of the seven. It's really that slower, open, spacious. What am I doing right now? Breathing. <laughs> Right. Paid attention to my breathing for gosh sakes. It's yeah. crazy, but it's like that. And I started creating these spa nights at home for me where I'll do the low light and the nice spa music and make myself hot tea and get my yoga mat out. Oh my gosh, I feel like I've gotten a massage. That's my type wow. five release. That's amazing. I did not know at all before. <laughs> so yeah, I love that, Linda. That's that, and that's that self care that you know that is so important. And it's honestly like because my three is so strong, self care often will take the back burner, and it can't, right? And that's what COVID. That's what 
even before then I was on the journey of taking a little more care of myself and not always being that workhorse grinding like that we had talked about in the beginning. Right. And then that's what I love that song slowing down and it's like, yes, this is it. Still doing great work, but just doing it more intentionally. Intentional. So cool. <laughs> intentional. Absolutely. So here's here's what I invite the audience today. I want to invite you guys, you know, look into the strengths work first off, you know, um, look into the Enneagram, check it out. But most importantly today, what you can do is start to think about what areas light you up, like that, that really feed you. So for Linda, you know, we heard today uh, for Linda, it is being introspective. It is writing. It is being with her and her thoughts and meditating. Uh, for me, uh, it is being creative. So uh, in whatever capacity that is, you know, uh, so it's, it's Halloween. I got to have a costume made up for my, my son. So that is where I'm putting my creative process. Um, uh, it didn't work out for me last year. <laughs> it, my costume didn't work out for him last year. They, they, you know, it was paper mache. They said, mom, you can make my costume, but please no paper mache. So I was like, all right, that the costume was like way too heavy. It, it was, it was completely flawed. So, um, anyway, he's going to be a vaccine. So, um, anyway, so I've got my work. That's where I'm going to put my, that's where I'm going to put my creative process. So anyway, back to what we were saying here, team, I would love it. If you guys would today pick some way that you can schedule release time, schedule that time, whether it be sitting with your thoughts, whether it be um, doing something creative, but look at your day and, and, and schedule it because that's the only way that it's going to happen, especially as we start to lose time during this pandemic, right? I don't know about you, but the day can go by and next thing you know, um, <laughs> it's dinner time, you know, or it's, it's nine o'clock, right? So schedule it and let's do it. All right, Linda, we need to talk about we need to talk about 80s trends before we wrap up because um, that is a very important part of the show. <laughs> we can't have an 80s oh, yeah, podcast absolutely. and not talk about it. So tell me your favorite trends, your fashion trends. Tell me your favorite fashion trend of the 80s. You know, what was so funny is when I first started thinking about this, well, I graduated from high school in 81. And then I worked at Disney from 83 to 88. And a lot of that time, I was literally in like a Disney costume. So I was like, wait, I don't really even know what the trends were because I was being dressed every day by a mouse, you know? Yes. But yeah, I do definitely remember the shoulder pad, my, my, I, you know, the big blazer, like the suits I would wear with like the big old shoulder pads for sure. Oversized blazers. And then there's this thing with like cutoff sweatshirts and asymmetrical Flash off dance. the shoulder. Yes. Last dance. Yes. Yes. So those are kind of the things that I would remember that I remember the most, like sort of after the day at, at work kind of, uh, or, or in the, when I was doing the corporate thing at Disney, the definitely, I remember my suits all having these big shoulder pads. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, so like dynasty dynasty. They, they were yes. just known for their yes. giant gowns <laughs> with the, with, you know, if you think back to that, I love so fancy. Oh and if you, have oh, you seen the trends though? 
have you been watching? It's the big <laughs> sleeves. Exactly. I'm like, this is the perfect time to have an 80s podcast. It's trendy again. <laughs> I have noticed that. Like, oh, that looks familiar. Like, this is something I might, you know, yeah, still have. And uh, I never did the big hair thing because, again, we had, you know, grooming standards at Disney. <laughs> Disney grooming standards. That's, yeah. that's pretty, pretty awesome. Um, all right. Do you have a favorite show that you loved? Yes, I did. Um, you know, I, I, uh, Alice is the show I'm thinking of. Love and Alice. I can relate to her grit and her resilience and determination. She had kind of a tough life. She was a hard, hard worker. She is. Um, and then it was like, and, you know, I was like reviewing it. again. like, yeah, what was that story again? It's just like, oh my gosh. It was, she worked at Mel's Diner in Arizona and I have just chosen this new life in Arizona. So I, I'm connecting with Alice right now. <laughs> That's awesome. I loved that show. We had Alice, Flo, Vera. Yeah. And my favorite episode was they were like, Vera was so awkward. She was so socially awkward. And my, one of my favorite yeah. episodes was when Flo, who was always like, she had so much, you know, she was all that and more, right? She had swagger. Oh, yeah. to, you know. She did. So they were trying to teach Vera how to walk. And I'll never forget this. <laughs> and, and, and how to like have more swagger and not to be so, yeah. so awkward. And they're like, you've <laughs> got to move like the waves in the ocean. And then they, you know, and it was hilarious. It was, and it just didn't work out for her. You know, like she liked this guy and, you know, and, yeah. and there she was trying to be all smooth and, yeah. and yeah. Oh God, it's such a good show. And that was, it was all about oh, hard work. Okay. It was all about hard work. And, you know, just basically willingness to do whatever it takes to mm-hmm. survive. It's about survival too. And it's like, yeah, there's no job that's, below me, you know, let's just dig in and get it done. And if I have to, you know, I think she was coming out West to be a famous singer, you know, and couldn't right. get a singing gig. Oh, she's waiting tables, waiting at, the tables at Mel's diner. And they ran the show there. Those women too. If you look back at oh, it, oh, they did. I mean, yeah. Mel was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Sometimes women empowerment. No, no, it's <laughs> so true. So yeah, that one I really resonate with, especially right now, just sort of like, you know, starting a new life and being willing to get out there and do, do new things, meet new people and nothing's going to get me down. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Listeners, you must right now go on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to music, Amazon, and listen to the half pace, uh, Matthew Wilder song, listen to it half pace and enjoy. Find intention. We learned so much from Linda today, and thank you for being here. But it's, it's about being intentional in the work that we do right now and practicing self-care. So if you could get anything from this episode today, it's about being intentional and in what you do, and then also really practicing self-care and being kind to yourself during this time. All right. Well, until next time, Linda, can you tell us how we can get a hold of you. Yeah, the best way, best thing to do is go to my website, lindajohnconsulting.com is the best way. I'm also out there on um, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Linda John Consulting um, is the best way to find me. So got some cool tools out there and we'll do, you know, free consultation if someone wants to just figure out what their Enneagram type is at no cost. I'm happy to help them figure that out. So, Oh, yeah. wow. That's, a, that's such a gift. Thank you, Linda. Thank you so much. All right, until next time. 
Thank you so much for listening. We want to hear from you. First of all, tell us how these totally rad stories have inspired you. If you have a story with an 80 song inspiration, we want to hear it. You think this podcast is like totally tubular? Well, we would love your review. Stay connected with us on Podopolo and download the app today. Visit me at www.patriciafreiberg.com. Thank you, and we look forward to a double boost of inspiration next Motivational Music Monday.